parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You heard it. And I know, I get it. You're stunned, right? You're stunned, you're flabbergasted. Some of you are deeply offended. All right, I know nobody is. None of us are stunned. We're not offended. Neither am I. But we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have a visceral reaction to this astonishing story. And I tell you, if we were first century Jews, this story would flip us out. It would turn our world on its head. But I'm guessing no one's astonished. I mean, who cares? Who cares that the Pharisee isn't the hero of the story, as of course we would have expected him to be? And that the tax collector's prayer is the one blessed by God. We're not astonished, but I promise you, I promise you that this story in the first century, well, by Jesus telling this story, it's the kind of thing that'll get you killed. I promise you the story was a shock to the listener in the first century. The Pharisees were justifiably respected. And if there was anyone in the Jewish community who was not thought to be loved by God, it was a tax collector. I mean, the tax collectors actually worked for the occupying forces. They worked for the Romans. They would have been like being working for the Nazis in France when it was occupied. And the tax collector was the participant in a cruel and corrupt system. The tax collector was considered by the people in his community a traitor to his religion, to his people, to his neighbors. Tax collectors were unclean. I tell you, they were despised. But the Pharisee was justifiably a pillar of the community and the synagogue, respected as a citizen of the highest character. And his words that are recounted by Jesus in the story are testimony to the depth of his faithfulness. The Pharisee recites sort of a dutiful performance of life, and he shows that he's gone beyond, and quite frankly, well beyond what God's law required of individuals. I mean, the Pharisee is a pious and devoted person. And yes, respected, even honored by his peers. So I'm telling you that I don't think the litany recounting the Pharisee's faithfulness, I don't think that's told to us by Jesus to ridicule the man. I don't think Jesus' words are sort of dripping with irony. But the Pharisee might have begun his speech with, or his prayer, with, I am grateful, God, that I'm from a good and faithful family. I mean, who isn't? I'm grateful that my parents brought me to synagogue, taught me the scriptures as a youth. It's all good stuff. Maybe he would have gone on to say, thank you for making me a volunteer. I'm grateful that I give, as he said, a tithe, 10% of my income. Maybe he added and that's off the top, that's gross, that's not after deductions. 
Thank you for letting me serve on the boards of important organizations. Thank you for letting me make a difference in the world, to volunteer with Habitat for Humanity, to tutor children in underserved sections of Jerusalem. These are all good and righteous endeavors. But then, then there's a hinge in the story. A prayer to God turns judgmental. And I thank you every day, Lord, that I am not like that one over there. And you know what? We're glad we're not like him either. And the tax collector in this story is not to be sort of in some Hollywood movie, a lovable, sweethearted, but misguided character. He's not. The tax collector is a traitor to his people. For all we know, everybody understood that he was the con man who built their elderly parents out of their last dime. So when you hear this story, you're supposed to be shocked, maybe even angry, that Jesus would say such a thing. But we also, I think, I mean, if you're anything like me, we encounter, in our own way, a fair number of modern examples of the Pharisee. I mean, think of many of the posts you see on Facebook that in effect that say, thank you, God. Thank you for not creating me like that person over there, that group of people, that party, them. I mean, how often do we ever hear someone pray as the tax collector did on Facebook and witness to one, one's own, short, own shortcomings rather than pointing out someone else's? I mean, how often do we hear someone implicate their own beliefs? I mean, what if you saw a Facebook post that said, you know, I'm really rethinking what I believe. There might be some holes in my system. I don't think I've ever seen that. And think of the posts you see around holidays when someone has had a difficult experience with their family and points it out. But have you ever seen anyone post something akin to the tax collector's prayer and say, you know what? I'm really sorry I'm such a difficult pain in the rear. So imagine, imagine the listener's response to this morning's gospel. You're supposed to say, are you kidding me? Jesus claims that a traitor, someone who has cooperated with the occupying forces, no less, his prayer of confession is the one justified by God and not the prayer of our upstanding citizen? I'm telling you, it's a story like that that could get you killed. James Sanders, a remarkable scholar of the New Testament said that the scriptures are always and everywhere first speaking primarily about God and secondarily about you and me. I mean, that's an interesting interpretive lens to this story. That first, this story describes the character of God, 
but then is secondarily about you and me. So if we consider this story as describing the traits of God, then we might conclude that a God who is being prayed to by both a Pharisee and a tax collector turns out to be a rather surprising God who does not respond in ways we think God should respond. This God is strange and gracious to those whom we might judge to be undeserving of God's grace. God is even gracious to those who don't belong to us, to them. So, why? Why did God bless the prayer of the tax collector, a traitor, and not the prayer of the faithful, devoted community leader? I mean, if that's the character of God, doesn't it make you wonder, why is God like that? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus tells us that that is the nature of God. Maybe that's a clue to you and me. That you and I, we cannot know. We cannot even imagine how radical God's grace is. But if this story is also about us, albeit secondarily, it does seem to imply that God values humility. Now, true humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. That has nothing to do with humility. But rather, true humility is not thinking of yourself as much different from the way you think of them. Humility may mean the willingness to think twice and constantly re-examine our opinions and actions. Maybe, maybe it's as simple as that as to what the tax collector was doing that day in the temple. I don't think he came there trying to be humble. He defrauded his neighbors on behalf of the Roman government, had become wealthy because of it. I mean, he couldn't have fallen any further. And so the best he can muster is, I need your mercy. I need your grace. So the good news, in times of humility, God meets you and blesses you. Because Jesus says that the tax collector came close to God. That is something, isn't it? And the Pharisee? Jesus and God doesn't seem to denounce or devalue the Pharisee's good works. And so if you arrived this morning really sort of on top of the world, prayer is flowing easily from you, then you know what? Count your blessings. But if you've come to worship this day lost, or prayer isn't flowing easily, maybe you arrived this morning feeling emotionally unsteady or empty-handed. Then you know what? Rejoice. 
this story is for you. The empty hands are able to receive God's gift. We call it grace. And so if this Sunday morning finds you empty, distant, hurting, be grateful. Be grateful because this place, the hymns we sang, the music we received, the prayers we heard, this story's for you. And remember, I know it's stories like this that cost Jesus his life. But if he was willing to die telling us of God's grace, shouldn't we at the very least be willing to live gratefully for it and with it?